Welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's your host, the Bitcoin Boomer himself, Gary Leland. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, a.k.a. the Bitcoin Boomer. Now, on this show, we talk about, you guessed it, Bitcoin. That's right. It's all we really talk about is Bitcoin and things that affect Bitcoin. Now, a lot of people see this show, The Bitcoin Boomer. They see the title and they say to themselves, well, maybe I don't need to watch that because I'm not a boomer. Well, just to let you know, I'm the boomer. And this show is for boomers and anyone that's interested in Bitcoin. If you want to learn about Bitcoin, if you want to just know what Bitcoin is, what it is, and go a little bit deeper uh, depth to it, this is the show for you, The Bitcoin Boomer Show. I try to bring on guests that can explain Bitcoin to you. Most of my guests have been in Bitcoin a very, very long time, and they know quite a bit about it. We've covered everything from mining Bitcoin to storage of Bitcoin to what Bitcoin is, but we've covered a lot about Bitcoin. Now, today we're going to cover a few things that have been happening lately in the cryptocurrency world with Corey Klipstein, a friend of mine and the uh, founder of Swan Bitcoin. Now, you might have noticed I just said things that have been going on in the world of cryptocurrency. Now, these are not things that have been going on with Bitcoin, but they have affected the Bitcoin price. Bitcoin, just like it was 12 years ago when it came out, is still perfect, has not been hacked, has not found any flaws, it's doing fine. It's cryptocurrencies, other things that sometimes affect the price of Bitcoin, and maybe if they uh, have problems or they get hacked, but Bitcoin itself is fine. Uh, about two weeks ago, we had the issue with Tezos and LunaCoin affected the price drastically, even though it was not Bitcoin. Now, this week, we have a problem with Celsius, which, again, is affecting the price of Bitcoin, but it is not Bitcoin. Now, Corey has been talking about these issues for a while with other cryptocurrencies and warning people not to invest or put their money in these cryptocurrencies. So we're going to be here in a few minutes with uh, Corey. We're going to go over those issues. We're going to go over Swan Bitcoin. We're going to go over Bitcoin. If you know anyone that's interested in Bitcoin, you may want to tell them to join us for this episode because this is going to explain a lot. We'll be right back with Corey after these words from our sponsor. Okay, guys, this is Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and you need to come here if you want to find out what Bitcoin is, if you want to just meet some great people and have a great time, come to BitBlock Boom. But there's one thing, you have to be a Bitcoiner. We don't allow shitcoiners. Last week in August, every year, moving to Austin. Yeah, I love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore, like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. You come to BitBlock Boom once. You're going to come every year. Speakers are great. The networking is great because you know, that's really what it's about when you're a, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can, learn, 
because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, but about money in general. Hey, so I'm down here at BitBlock Boom, and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitblock Boom. But like I said, don't even mess with it. Don't even think about it. Don't even attempt to buy a ticket if you're a shitcoiner because your money's going to come back and you'll just make us both work. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you need to sign up and come to Austin now. Come to Bitblock Boom. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, as always, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and we have a really good show for you today. If you've been in Bitcoin a long time, you're going to enjoy our today's guest. If you're just getting into Bitcoin, you're going to enjoy today's guest. But today we have Corey Klipstein from Swan Bitcoin with us. And above, be above board, everybody, I was an early advisor to Swan and even owned a small piece of the company, so I don't want to confuse anyone. But Corey, thank you for joining us on today's show. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, Gary, really glad to be here. It's good to see you again and uh, glad to be here to uh, help explain some of the things going on in the market. Well, I've got a couple of things that I go over with everybody before we start uh, getting into our deep dive here. But number one is, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, Swan Bitcoin. You have a couple of other um, websites you run, Bitcoin-related sites. Give us a little breakdown on who's Corey. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh Started out working uh, in journalism originally. I was a broadcast major and reported for local NBC station in the late 90s and uh, fell in love with the internet, been online since about 93 and decided to go toward that direction. Uh, ended up working for Microsoft on early interactive television and writing for MSNBC News and NBC News through the Microsoft relationship uh, and then kind of kept moving on that path toward technology and business. Worked for Morgan Stanley, ended up working for McKinsey and Company after going to business school at University of Chicago and studying finance and then uh, did some private equity work and finally uh, went full on into technology working for Google. And when I was at Google, I was basically studying to get into startups. So I moved out to California. I started advising early stage venture backed startups and making uh, angel investments in early, early stage startups. And I've been doing that for about a decade now, uh, full time for the last nine years. And I fell in love with Bitcoin about halfway through in the last big bull run of uh, early 2017 caught my attention. I, like a lot of people, was confused by all of the altcoins and all the ICOs and all that stuff and kind of played around with that for about 11 months. And then since about April of 2018, I've been focused exclusively on Bitcoin and, and doing what I can to, to help that space. I had the idea for what became Swan in uh, early 2019, started the company in June of 2019, and we launched uh, Swan Bitcoin. Uh, to the public in March of 2020. So we've been around a little over two years. We're a Bitcoin financial services firm, best known for selling Bitcoin to high net worth individuals around the world and also having uh, a great app on, uh, on swan.com that makes it really easy for anyone to set up a automatic recurring purchase plan, which is how I buy Bitcoin. It's how I recommend everybody buy Bitcoin is just set it and forget it. And uh, we're about 60 people now around the world. 
um, you know, fast growing company and just raised some money last month on a $200 million valuation. So you know, our goal is kind of to keep growing and riding this Bitcoin wave uh, over the next few years and, and hopefully be the first consumer focused Bitcoin only company listed on NASDAQ by about 2024 or 2025. Well, that's the word there, Bitcoin only. I mean, you, like myself, are into Bitcoin or you're a Bitcoin maxi or whatever we want to call it. We're not, uh, I think we're both agreement that that is where you need to be, not into the other uh, currencies, uh, 20,000 of them, let's say. But um, I, I don't feel like I even need a confirmation. That. I, know, I know you're going to agree with me on that. But I, I am curious as to what was your Bitcoin awakening moment? How did you discover Bitcoin? I had some swings and misses, Gary. Somebody gave me some Bitcoin in uh, January of 2014 at a conference and it just didn't take. I didn't read the white paper, lost it. Uh, again, end of 2015, uh, a friend of mine asked for some help putting together a, a deck so he could sell off slices of a series LLC that had bundled up some of his startup stakes. He had a couple of Bitcoin startups in there. I even made slides about them. I was just busy with other things, doing you know marketplaces and SaaS companies and media tech and things like that. It just, it just didn't take. Uh, it wasn't until really just so much noise in my social and professional networks in 2017 that I actually sat down and, you know, read the white paper and read a book about it. I read Digital Gold, I think, in May or June of, uh, of 2017, the Nathaniel Popper book. And, uh, and then it started to make sense. And I just I couldn't stop. I just devoured still to this day, 50 hours a week of Bitcoin related content now for what is that? almost five years. Yeah, I guess it's five years now. I've been just kind of Bitcoin full-time. So that's well, how it started. I think we have a lot in common, Corey. First of all, that is so common that it takes people three whacks at it. I mean, how many times have I heard this story? Yeah, my third time of someone presenting it to me or seeing it. It took me that long to finally uh, read the white paper and get into it. I also got into it approximately June of 2017, like yourself. So we got in it at about the same time. And I also consume, since then, about 50 hours a week on Bitcoin. That's all I do now. It was hard when I had to work a regular job. I told my wife, I said, I think I'm losing money by having to go to work every day, even though I'm working for myself. So uh, we shut down the business. So there's so much of that in common. Uh, I, I didn't realize that we had so much in common on that. I find that very interesting. One more question I Classes. do... 17. Yeah. It's, a, it's a strong class. It's a, and, and before, and, and we, were, we were before it ran up. I mean, it had gone up, but it had not run up to the 19,000. So uh, it was a strong, a yeah. lot of people got in that class though. It, yeah, it was, it was a big one and dramatically larger than the one that came in in 2013, obviously probably 10 or 10 or a hundred times bigger. Um, I sometimes think about this class that came in in 2020, 2021. Uh, it wasn't certainly as big a percentage rise over the class of 2017 as 2017 was over 2013. But, uh, you know, some really strong players in the class of 2020. Uh, you think of like Michael Saylor and Druckenmiller and Paul Tudor Jones and, and a lot of people that are just kind of on Twitter all the time, and kind of the macro guys really understanding Bitcoin, the Luke Romans world. Like it's been, it's been pretty great to have them add their voices to the mix. Yes, people like Michael Sale were talking about Bitcoin. That guy's got diamond hands. I mean, <laughs> mean going through what's going on right now. Um, before we get into that, though, which we'll get more into the second segment, things that are going on right now, I do want to ask you one more question I ask everybody. To you, 
in your terms, what is Bitcoin? Uh, it's really just the best money that we've ever had. It combines the best features of government money or paper money with the best features of gold. And then in, when you combine you know, being able to, to transport value across space effortlessly and basically for free, and then also to transport value across time, be that sort of uh, store of value over the decades, uh, which is what Bitcoin is becoming. It's sort of a speculative store of value today, but as it rises and as it hits sort of uh, less volatility and more stability, which is what's going to happen as it gets a higher market cap, um, it's just going to open up a, a world of economic opportunity and cooperation on a scale that we've never seen before as humans. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping to pull the future forward. So I get to enjoy some of it, but at least I'm working hard on building that future for my kids and their kids. Yeah. I just had a conversation with the producer here. She's knew nothing. I think about Bitcoin when we started this series, we're on show maybe eight or nine now. And she had some pretty good questions today. Um, they were decent questions. I was telling her by the time she hits uh, 80 or 90, it'll be rare for people to have one Bitcoin. You agree with that? Yeah, of course. And she's 20 now. Never going (laughs) to. Yeah. I mean, today there's probably, you know, I've done the calculations to the best of my ability before and, you know, probably 700 to 800,000 people have one Bitcoin. And that number is only going to go down over time because more people are going to buy Bitcoin and people spend Bitcoin. And and so we'll never have more than we'll never have a million whole coiners, basically. So I think there are a lot of people who aren't going to sell. Well, <laughs> we were talking about diamond hands a minute ago. There are a lot of people who are never going to sell all their Bitcoin. Um, come hell or high water, like you say, you're saving yours, making sure your kids and grandkids are taken care of. Hey, before we close this segment, I do want to say something. If you could pull up the whole screen. Uh, behind you, I want to give a shout out. I want to get, pull up his screen. I want to give a shout out to Brecky. And is Bitcoin be there? Brecky is one of the best Bitcoin artists as I know. So I want to give Brecky a shout out. He is, his, his work he's doing now in granite and marble is just fantastic. So check out Brecky Von Bitcoin because uh, he's, he's been with you guys at Swan a long time. He has, yeah. He's been there since the beginning. He's our creative director and he runs Swan Studios, which is our, our media arm. And he also 3D printed my uh, Swan coaster. Very talented. He's very talented. Okay, we're getting ready to take a break and go to a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to go into some of the things in the world of, I'm going to say, cryptocurrency, not the world of Bitcoin, but things that have happened lately in the world of cryptocurrency that have affected Bitcoin. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. See you then. And welcome back to another segment of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland. Today, I'm joined by my friend and associate, Corey Klipstein from Swan Bitcoin. Corey, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. Now, we were just talking about in our first segment, your background, a little bit about Bitcoin. Um, But now I want to cover, which I haven't covered on this show, really, other cryptocurrencies. I've really never talked about anything on this show but Bitcoin. But lately, I'd say over the last month, we've had things in the affecting Bitcoin's price, not affecting Bitcoin in any other way, I guess, but affecting Bitcoin's price that have happened with some of the other 20,000 cryptocurrencies that are out there. And I'm just using that number 20,000. I don't know the exact account. But the first one I want to go over is Terra and Luna, which happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, what happened to their product, which was a stable coin. And you were talking about this 
way before it happened. Uh, and I want to go over yeah. I want to go over Terra and Luna, and let's start talking what happened there. Uh, maybe go into what uh, a stable coin was 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 meant to do. But let's cover that in this segment. Yeah, sure. So. Terraform Labs uh, created a, a layer one smart contract chain, basically just trying to compete with Ethereum. Um, really, all those things are, as I'm sure you're well aware, are essentially just marketing schemes to try to get people to think that there's something going on, give a bunch away, give, give away a bunch of free tokens to the founding team and the investors, and then pump it up with marketing enough so that the price pumps and then they dump it on retail basically as soon as it hits exchanges. So uh, the insiders at Luna have sold, you know, probably five to $10 billion worth of Luna, maybe maybe 10 or $20 billion worth of Luna over the last couple of years, uh, just dumping it on retail that actually thought there was something going on there. There never was. Um, and then they hit upon an amazing scheme uh, from the perspective of, of being able to <laughs> make illicit gains uh, a couple of years ago. And it was uh, this idea of a decentralized algorithmic stablecoin. So unlike Tether, which you may have heard of, USDT, or uh, Circle's USD coin, USDC, which are actually backed by assets one-to-one, -one, uh, an algorithmic stablecoin is supposed to somehow magically maintain a peg to the dollar without actually being collateralized or over collateralized with, uh, with assets to back it. Now, this is actually impossible. Uh, in computer science, there's something called the Oracle problem where you can't actually take uh, data from off, off chain and bring it on chain into the digital world without a trusted third party. Nobody's ever solved that. And these guys, uh, you know, definitely didn't solve that at all. Um, so, this had been attempted by a company called Basis, which was backed by all the big Silicon Valley, you know, crypto firms and, and, and Silicon Valley VCs back in 2017-18. And they looked at it really closely and realized that you couldn't actually run a decentralized uh, algorithmic stablecoin without having a centralized team doing open market operations. And they realized that that would make it a security. And so they shut the thing down and refunded most of the money to their investors. So uh, Do Kwan, the founder of Terraform Labs, which created Terra, uh, which created Luna and what they ended up calling Terra USD, which was UST on the, on the markets, um, ignored that. Uh, he even in 2019, under a pseudonym calling himself Rick Sanchez and staying anonymous, launched Basis Cash, stealing the code from Basis, accumulating 65 million of market cap, and it collapsed and went to zero. So he already knew that that was the sort of inevitable outcome of something like this. Where they thought they could make a difference was they collateralized UST with a burn mechanism to Luna. So as long as Luna had market value and the, the like the as long as the market ascribed significant value to Luna, you'd be able to if if UST dropped to say 99 cents, uh, you had a one-to-one -one burn mechanism for exchanging Luna for UST. And so I guess you would, I don't know, you'd you would buy UST, exchange it for $1 worth of Luna, and then sell the Luna immediately. And then you would clip that 1% profit. So that's how they expected arbitrageurs to uh, be able to keep the peg at a dollar. Uh, obviously, the problem is uh, if you do the other one, you're, you're, you're minting a Luna each time you do that. And 
it basically can cause a hyperinflationary death spiral. And that's just like inevitably going to happen if this thing comes under stress. Um, what they tried to do to give themselves as much liquidity as possible to be able to dump on retail as much of this, you know, Luna coin as possible uh, was they created another protocol, which was called Anchor, uh, which was run by one of my classmates at University of Chicago, embarrassingly. Um, and Anchor is, uh, was something that basically you parked UST at Anchor and, and checked it in basically or staked it and you would get 20% interest. Uh, so why did they do that? Because they were paying out that interest. Both uh, Terraform Labs was paying that interest to people and also Jump Capital, a big OTC desk and market maker in the space was paying this out. They paid about $1.5 billion just this year in free interest, claiming that it was a marketing expense for the Terraform, you know, the Terraform ecosystem or something. Now, what they were really doing is they were bribing people to buy UST because they noticed that the market cap of Luna was high beta to the market cap of UST because it made it look like there was a vibrant, successful ecosystem that the stablecoin was working. And so as UST market cap, the stablecoin uh, charged up to you know, 5 billion, 10 billion, 15 billion, the market cap of Luna was going you know, 20 billion, 30 billion, 40 billion. And they were able to sell into that pump and get out of it, right? So the early investors, you know, Pantera has come out and said that they made 100x on their investment. Polychain was an early investor, obviously made out like bandits. Mike Novogratz from Galaxy, they, they've said that they, uh, they made money on the whole thing. When you look at it and you see the mechanisms here, and, and I only, you know, it probably took about 45 minutes in late March when I became aware of it. And the only reason I became aware of it is because they said they were going to start buying Bitcoin. They were going to buy tons and tons of Bitcoin and use it, you know, in addition to Luna. Uh, as part of the uh, the collateral, essentially, they're going to try to build up some collateral for their algorithmic stablecoin. If you have a volatile asset like Luna, you need to be like dramatically over collateralized. Obviously, Luna went to zero, so there's no amount of collateral that would have worked. Even with Bitcoin, as we've seen, you know, dropped sixty five percent from the peak in November to now, you would have to have so much Bitcoin to actually maintain that peg. Otherwise the peg is gonna get attacked whenever the price of Bitcoin goes down. So it was just kind of preposterous that shoring up their, their fake collateral with Luna that had no value with some Bitcoin, it just was obvious to me that it was going to end very badly. And so even though a bunch of you know Bitcoin influencers were cheerleading this and saying like, hey, maybe we should all get along. I was looking at it, I was like, first of all, this guy, every time he talks, there's just red flags going off everywhere. Second, there's this obvious Ponzi scheme going on with the nefarious uh, bribe of getting people to park, the, park their money on, uh, on Anchor Protocol. And this thing is clearly going to fall apart. So I just came out and said it. I said, UST is gonna blow up, UST is going to zero. And I started letting everybody know that in late March. I wasn't the only person, but I was probably one of the better known people to, to make that claim. Um, shout out to Lynn Alden for picking up on it, doing her own research and, and buttressing my point of view with her larger voice about a week later in, in early April. Um, and then it did blow up uh, as expected in May um, and, and sort of the final conclusion of, of just dramatically breaking the peg uh, the weekend before May 9th and then just completely getting destroyed and going down to you know 10 cents or something like that on May 9th. So that was the story of UST and Luna, uh, you know, almost $60 billion worth of market cap wiped out uh, second biggest Ponzi scheme, scheme that I'm aware of, uh, right behind Madoff, which I think was 65 billion, and uh, we'll see what uh, what the criminal justice and 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 civil 
cases have to say about the backers of this and, uh, you know, and the perpetrators of this thing. Well, you know, um, you're correct on that. One of the second biggest schemes, ripoffs, Ponzi schemes, whatever. And the question is, what kind of jail time will there be for this compared to Madoff? Um, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit more after this word. I do want to go over when we come back the fact that they had to sell off other Bitcoin that they'd bought, and they bought a massive amount of Bitcoin, and they had to sell that off to uh, try to stay, pump up everything, which didn't work, and that did affect the price of Bitcoin, I guess, that much Bitcoin being dumped on the market at one time in their hopes of, I guess that was their last stand of, of saving uh, the coin. Um, but we'll be right back with that and a little bit more with Corey right after this word from our sponsor. And please, share this show with your friends. Tell everyone about it. See it back in a minute. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Now, today we have Corey Clipston. Corey, thanks for joining me again. You gave us really a great break breakdown just now on Terra and Luna. But, you know, during that whole short period of time of the catastrophe or the meltdown, they ended up having to sell off all their Bitcoin, which I'm not sure if I'm correct on this number. Would they have like $6 billion worth or something? And by selling that off... Got up that high. But I think it got to about three. Okay. They had picked up about three billion by then. But that was a massive dump on the market at one time in an attempt to save uh, the platform, which it didn't do. Uh, so, can we say that is one of the reasons we saw a dive at one time from thirty thousand to twenty thousand, or part of it? Yeah, it's a big reason that it happened. It, it was also interestingly, it was uh, it was also a symptom of. The broad market pullback, meaning like stocks and markets generally around the world, and then Bitcoin being, you know, still at this this point in time, kind of you know risk on in a lot of portfolios that also hold these other assets, and so it was going down a little bit more than stocks, you know, from like you know forty to thirty five to thirty, and then uh, attacking the price of Bitcoin and shorting it was actually part of the part of the play that a lot of hedge funds and crypto funds piled into. Uh, to try to break the peg on UST. So they were shorting UST and they were shorting Luna. And as part of that, they were also shorting the heck out of Bitcoin to try to make Luna and, and that whole team just completely unstable and freak out and dump everything. So it was kind of pro-cyclical. It was- So it, was it dropped the, the price of their reserves. Go down. So it actually yeah, was exactly. a, a fight to, is this a lot different than what Soros did back in uh, with the English money, England money? No, it was fairly similar. Yeah, you're talking about, was it 92, I think, when uh, Soros broke the Bank of England and, you know, broke the peg of the pound. Um, that's generally what happens. You you get a thesis going and, you know, you kind of tell people that you're doing it and you try to get other people to join your trade and enough people join the trade, uh, then it starts to get some momentum. Um, but that's literally why no peg has ever held for the long term in like the history of currencies. Talk about now, uh, it seems to me the flavor of the week uh, with the, um, the, the unpegging or bad stuff is Celsius. Um, mm -hmm. What's happening at Celsius, which is not Bitcoin, I want to make sure everybody understands. We're not talking about Bitcoin, really. We're talking about things that are happening outside the world of the circle of Bitcoin. Now, what is Celsius and what's happening there? Yeah, so Celsius basically set itself up in 2017-2018 with a falsely marketed uh, ICO uh, to sell their their centrally controlled uh, 
non-currency company script, essentially the sell token. And they used that to fund company operations as they built it out. And uh, there's a few of these now. So basically what it is, is uh, I would call it sort of like centralized lending platforms, more or less, but they kind of promote themselves, or I should say actively promote themselves as a better savings account. And their marketing says that, you know, banks actually could pay you 8% or 10%, but they don't want to, they want to keep all that money because they're greedy and bad. So that's basically the marketing pitch for Celsius as to why you should give them your money and let them give you higher yields on your money uh, because they're not a big bank, but they are exactly a bank, but a worse one because they're not regulated and there's no FDIC insurance. So you're giving over your value, your coins, your dollars, whatever it is. And then you're an unsecured creditor to what is essentially an unregulated hedge fund. And they're giving you a small interest rate for, for the standards of that. Obviously, if you're an LP of a hedge fund, you should be getting 80% of profits. And these guys are paying you like 5%, 10%, whatever. Um, they have been notoriously terrible at risk management over the last couple of years. They lost $120 million on StakeHound last year. Uh, at the same time as they hopped jurisdictions one more time, got bailed out by Westcap, a big uh, a big. VC growth equity investor kind of saved their uh, saved their butts last summer. Um, they were also on the wrong side of the GBTC ARB trade, the same reason that BlockFi faced a lot of stress last year and had to take another equity investment. Um, and then they lost another 50 million in a Badger DAO hack. Again, these are just like shady little DeFi protocols that are not audited, that are not uh, you know, sort of run by credible teams and nobody knows what's going on with the money. And that's why it keeps disappearing. But the reason that Celsius ended up in the uh, Luna story is that they announced themselves a, a day after. So the reason that Celsius got wrapped up in the Luna story is because right after the collapse, literally like the day after, I think they announced themselves that they had pulled $500 million worth of user funds out of Anchor a day or two, like over the weekend, literally before the complete collapse on Monday. And so that was something that definitely caught my attention because I was I was covering, you know, the Luna story and paying attention there. And then now I see that Celsius, which had already sort of like cropped up three or four times as having red flags in the past, uh, I thought was like really worth taking a look at it now that it was obvious that their risk management team was comfortable placing $500 million in an obvious Ponzi scheme that I was able to suss out in about 45 minutes of research. Like, what are they doing? Either they're in on it and kind of just a bad actor, or they're just like too stupid to be managing money. But, you know, something is wrong here and misleading marketing to their users of pretending that there's some kind of savings account, you know, with high yield. You know, there's no free lunch. They're doing something super risky with that money. Um, so that's when I started following the Celsius story and, and sort of paying attention a lot more uh, over the rest of May. Um, you know, and then there's the whole thing about their team as well. So this uh, Mashinsky guy that runs it and started it, you know, all of his big claims about like who he was and what his background was when he was marketing his uh, his unregistered security offering slash ICO back uh, four years ago. You know, he claimed to be the inventor of VoIP. He's not. He's not on the Wikipedia page. He claimed to have raised a billion dollars for startups. There's no record of that. He claimed to have $3 billion worth of startup exits. That's never happened. Uh, and there were some other things. And then he has this uh, association with this criminal syndicate, basically, in Tel Aviv, uh, led by a guy named Moshe 
Hogag, who's in jail now. And uh, the Celsius CFO got pulled out of the company and put in jail last fall. Their chief revenue officer has a ton of cross ownership with uh, this uh, Moshe Hogag guy. Alex himself uh, participated in multiple rug pulls back in 2018, where you know he basically like got granted tokens for for altcoin scams and uh, and dumped them. This is all in sort of on the blockchain, and you can see it in his wallets that he basically rug pulled alongside these guys uh, on the day that these things listed. So, you know, kind of like a, a notoriously bad guy uh, running this company. And so I just think it's like, not surprising at all, that this is how it was run given who was running it. So I think that was one thing. Like if you see someone talking the way that Do Kwan has, uh, running Luna and he's kind of just an obvious shady character and the same thing with Mashensky, an obvious shady character, like a lot of times they're just, uh, something nasty going on underneath the hood of their companies. Um, so Celsius has experienced, uh, you know, basically a bank run um, in the past week or so. So, you know, as expected, when you have uh, all these positions and these risky DeFi, proto DeFi protocols, and some of them are blowing up and you don't run a clean loan book. And, you know, you basically have this, this user base that you've told they can withdraw at any time. Well, if people start to get nervous because they find out about your horrible operations and the shadiness of your team and they start to withdraw, and you have their money parked in places that you can't get out of uh, quickly. A lot of in a lot of cases, they have sort of like longer longer duration yield schemes going on, like uh, like staking their ETH in the hopes that Ethereum two someday launches and they get their money back after four years of waiting for Ethereum two to launch. I don't know how you make that bet with other people's money. Um, you know, so that's what happened. So people started to withdraw and they realized that they weren't going to be able to meet their obligations. And then what happens is kind of like a Lehman moment. Once market players sniff out that you're having a liquidity issue, your correlations go to one. So this diverse basket of assets, if the market broadly knows your positions, which they can do really well with blockchain analysis, so all these hedge funds are just sniffing out what positions Celsius holds. And when Celsius looks to sell, they can only sell at a massive discount. Nobody every one of their assets that they have, every position they have, the price has been pushed down on them. And so they're just like the weak hand at the player and everybody attacks them. Um, okay, well, we're anyway, gonna- so that's what happened. They froze user deposits. We're gonna go back into that right them. after this break. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, joined today by Corey Klipstein. Corey, sorry to cut you off so hard there, um, but they got a harder clock than I do here, at, than I do at my house uh, here at the studio. But I want to get, finish that up, what you were saying about Celsius there. Yeah, so essentially they just experienced a bank run and, uh, you know, kind of like in uh, that that scene in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, everybody came asking for their money and George Bailey said, well, it's not in your 
in the account in the back, it's sitting in Joe's house. And in this case, you know, your money is in these risky DeFi protocols, uh, supposedly earning yield, but actually just being like crazy risk capital for an unregulated hedge fund. So people came for their money, asking for their coins back because they no longer trusted the management of Celsius to actually protect their money and give them yield in the future. And they didn't have the money. And so they shut the doors to the bank. Uh, just like Uncle Billy did in It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, and they're trying to preserve their capital and work out of it. They've hired the, the restructuring lawyers now. They hired Aiken Gump. Uh, and they're going to try to figure out, hopefully, I mean, just praying that they can work out of these positions and get all of their depositors whole and give them their coins back. And then obviously my dream is that we never, ever, ever hear from Celsius or Alex Mashensky again. Well, unlike George Bailey, they didn't have an angel named Clarence in their pocket helping them out mm -hmm. uh, every time a bell nope. rang. So uh, we'll see what happens with them. But I think that's great. And, I, and you're have, the first person I saw bring it up. They have an angel named uh, named Gary Gensler, and he's he's on the other side of the deal here. Okay. Um, let's cover real quick. What are your th People always ask me whenever I'm talking about I'm just in the Bitcoin, no other cryptocurrency. They always, the one thing I always hear is with amazement, they go, not even Ethereum? So since we're talking about things that uh, I think have no value long-term, what are your thoughts on Ethereum real quickly? Well, it's funny that because that line is out there, that actually gives the lie to the whole thing. Uh, Ethereum actually is centrally controlled. Consensus basically runs it out of New York and you know the insiders own a ton of it and they created it and they sold it through an illegal unregistered security offering back in the day. Uh, and so they actually have like incredible talking points. Think about like the, the Republican machine or the Democratic machine getting their talking points. And then you hear the same talking heads say the same thing. So what they've tried to pull off in the last few years to say that there's like there's Bitcoin, Ethereum and altcoins trying to claim that Ethereum is not an altcoin. But it obviously is because it's it's already a broken experiment. Um, essentially, the the token that they created to use in their world computer was like the meme a few years ago uh ether ether i guess is is we call it ether or whatever um the incentives of using that if the price goes up it comes it becomes more expensive to actually use the system so the as it grows it becomes more unusable which is why they're getting off of proof of work in the start in the first place their consensus mechanism was similar to bitcoins historically and now they're moving to proof of stake the problem with moving to proof of stake is proof of stake is inherently centralizing. You're literally talking about giving the rewards to the people that own the most coins. And you're also talking about anytime you have proof of stake, by definition, you have governance. Bitcoin as a proof of work protocol does not need governance, does not have governance. Every single proof of stake uh, system has governance, must have governance must have governance, must have people making decisions about how it runs. So it's, again, inherently centralizing over time. So it's not even about like where it is on a spectrum today, whether it's like super decentralized or super, you know, decentralized. It's that the second derivative, the direction in which it's moving is always going to be centralizing over time. So the only way that Ethereum actually exists in the long term is if it deliberately seeks to be co-opted by the existing system, by banks and by governments. Um, and you can see them playing that out, right? They're super tight with World Economic Forum. They take investment from JP Morgan, from the Saudi government. You know, they're really just trying to like get ingrained in the existing system as deeply as they possibly can. And so Ethereum and all their backers, like Andreessen Horowitz and, and you know, all the rest and, and all the banks and all the government folks, 
they have common cause to try to promote altcoins and in particular Ethereum because it's the biggest altcoin contra Bitcoin. So it's basically really is Bitcoin against the world. But, you know, luckily, Bitcoin has all of the people. There's this funny thing about the uh, the voices in the space. Uh, it appears that there are a lot of crypto, non-Bitcoin crypto voices or altcoin voices because they have so many of these projects and it's so easy for these people to use marketing of unregistered securities and quick time to liquidity when you can dump it on retail via these unregistered, unregulated exchanges. So it seems like there's this vibrant, huge community, but really it's an inverted pyramid. At the top, you have a ton of people talking about crypto and altcoins, but very little community underneath it. Bitcoin's the opposite. There's very few spokespeople, very few people that can actually talk, you know, for Bitcoin. Nobody would actually like accept someone claiming to speak for Bitcoin. And then this massive community around the world that loves Bitcoin, that works on Bitcoin, that evangelizes Bitcoin, and that uses Bitcoin every single day uh, to store value and to send value around the world. So it's just this, uh, this moment in time, again, where it's just kind of like online gambling was in the aughts where it's just outside the reach of regulators and they're able to do these, these essentially like pump and dump marketing schemes, these Bitcoin affinity scams uh, with these altcoins. And this moment in time will pass and we'll look back on it and say, well, that was, that was gross. And a lot of people ruined their reputations forever uh, participating in that. But, uh, you know, I think it will pass. Well, I appreciate that rundown. I think that's 100% correct. I think you really have a grasp on what's happening today. Now, I have about two and a half minutes left, and I do want to go over Swan Bitcoin because I really think it's a good place to buy Bitcoin. Could in uh, two and a half, three minutes, you give us a rundown on Swan Bitcoin? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it, it's got to be the most friendly, easiest place to get started with Bitcoin. You just go to swan.com, takes a couple of minutes to sign up for an account and you can start buying Bitcoin. I highly recommend signing up for a recurring purchase plan because I think that's the best way to think about Bitcoin as long-term savings. Um, this is an incredible time historically to get into Bitcoin and in particular to, uh, to do that dollar cost averaging thing and buying the same amount in dollar terms of Bitcoin every day or every week or every month. Um, you know, Whenever the, you're in a bear market, it's a great time to DCA. Um, and then we have added other services. We launched Swan Private Client Services about a year and a half ago. So we serve high net worth individuals and family offices and small and medium sized businesses and trust accounts and all that complicated stuff around the world with concierge service. You're actually talking to one of the world's top Bitcoin experts, actually helping you understand Bitcoin and how it fits in your portfolio and in your plans for you and your family and your business. Um, so you can go to swanprivate.com and check that out if that is a fit for you. And then we have uh, Swan Advisor Services coming out in a couple of weeks, actually. We're announcing it officially next week, but, uh, but your viewers can know about it. Um, and that's basically working with uh, registered investment advisors and financial advisors uh, and helping them get their clients into Bitcoin and being kind of an extension of their team and providing expert education and resources so that they and their clients can understand Bitcoin and where it fits in their goals. Well, I find, I really do find Swan Bitcoin is one of the best resources when I am trying to orange pill a boomer. Like my brother who's 70-something, my sister who's 70-something. If I can get them buying a little bit, 
even if it's five or $10 worth, and many of my friends have done this, next thing I know, they called me up and told me they actually bought some Bitcoin, uh, larger amounts, because it kind of makes you get some skin in the game, and once you have some skin in the game, then you start paying attention to the game and learning the rules of the game and finding out what's going on, and Swan also helps educate people who are uh, using Swan. Corey, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can follow you and keep up with what you're talking about? Because you always are giving great information. Yeah, I think I'm probably most active on Twitter, which is uh, at Corey Clipston. I'm also on LinkedIn, very easy to find. Uh, so I, I put stuff out on Bitcoin on LinkedIn, uh, aka the Gen X network or the Boomer network, but uh, I've been on there for 20 years. So uh, it's easy to find me there. Uh, and then obviously we have a ton of resources on the Swan website, all kinds of education, free books, um, you know, we've got this, the, the Swan Bitcoin channel on YouTube. So you can see all of the amazing content we've put out there. Uh, and then I have a daily uh, email newsletter at corey.substack.com where every single day I share one of the best pieces of Bitcoin educational content from the history of Bitcoin. So that's also a great resource. And going back through the archives there, uh, we've carefully selected these and uh, we've got about a thousand ready to go. And I think we're on, you know, issue 60 or something like that. So I, I highly recommend that one. And that's a great newsletter. I've been enjoying that myself. So Corey, I do want to thank you for coming on the show. You've given out a great, this is the first show we've done that wasn't 100% Bitcoin. This show was hardly any Bitcoin. And I think it was a good point for us to make. Thank you, Corey, for joining us on today's show. And we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. So don't go anywhere. See you in a minute. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm telling you, today's show, to me, was one of our best shows. Corey gave us so much information. I think uh, learning about other things or other currencies or other scams that are trying to take advantage of the opportunities Bitcoin creates and convince you to put some of your money or invest in those scams is information that is invaluable. And Corey, as he said, he spends about 40 to 50 hours a week studying this world. So that was great information that he provided for us today. I do want to tell you about a couple of things before we move on. I'll make sure you know about BitBlockBoom. BitBlockBoom is the Bitcoin conference I hold every year in Austin, Texas. So make sure and check out BitBlockBoom.com. We will hold the next conference, the last weekend of August. It's definitely worth checking out. Now, if you happen to live in the Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas region, you might want to check out BitBlock Barbecue. Once a month, usually the last weekend of the month, but once a month, I hold a barbecue. We all get together and talk about Bitcoin and eat barbecue and have a great time. So go to bitblockbarbecue.com and add yourself at least ways to the uh, notification list. So if you can't make it this time, maybe you can make it in the future sometime. Do want to thank the crew here, Stephanie and everybody else here at uh, Biz TV Studios for taking the time out to help me look good because believe me, it takes a lot to make me look good. So please send your questions to me. Now, if you do have a question, please send your questions to me at Gary Leland at gmail.com and I'll try to answer them on a future show or have someone find someone to answer your questions if I can on our future show. So please uh, take advantage of that opportunity and we'll try to get any questions you may have on the show answered 
And maybe last but not least is my Twitter. Like Corey, I can be found anywhere just about, but I spend most of my time on Twitter. So go to twitter.com slash Gary Leland, and you can follow me there. Keep up with the highlights, things I post, and highlights from the show maybe. So I do appreciate you taking the time to join us, and I hope you found out something about Corey. Check out swanbitcoin.com, or swan.com. That's their new uh, website address. It is a great place to learn about Bitcoin and start with Bitcoin. So I guess until next week, I'm going to say I'll see you then, but also don't take any wooden nickels. I don't know what that means. My dad used to say that. Were there really wooden nickels? I don't know what that means. We'll see you later, and thanks again for joining us. Have a good one. Bye.